For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to the episode number 369 of This Old Marketing for Friday, March 31st, 2023. And with me, as always, is my pal, my colleague, and the guy most excited for all of baseball's new rules, Mr. Joe Polizzi. You're excited, yes? It's opening day yesterday. I'm, I'm not sure what to make of these changes that are happening. I, I saw a stat on ESPN yesterday that said the, this new pitch count thing they've got going on here and yeah. the rules for stealing and all that. And I don't even know all the details of it, but apparently the games are 26 minutes less than normal. I think they're even more than that, aren't they? I, I saw some statistic that it brought it down to... Uh, well, maybe that is right. Two, tw- twenty-six minutes, minutes but it's, is it's, huge. I mean, five minutes would yeah. be a big deal on average. Twenty-six minutes yeah. is—I mean, you're you're losing yeah, twenty percent, basically, game right there. That's right. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think more people are. First of all, anything changed in baseball, people go nuts over because baseball is oh, the thing you don't change because they're so into their stats, and we've been going that's on right. one hundred and fifty years of stats and whatever the case is, but. Anything to shorten the game. I think they should do what the the Savannah Bananas do for their banana ball, and they just say, two hours. You get to two hours and we're done. Whatever the score is, <laughs> that, wouldn't that be great? Is, whatever it is. Yeah. Because that's the way it that's is for, for European football, and basically that's close to what NFL is. You know, if you have a 1 o'clock Eastern time start game for the NFL, you're pretty sure that between 4 and 4.30 that thing's going to be done. Yeah, it's three hours. It's almost NFL games are almost all exactly three hours. Yeah, and and for soccer, U.S. soccer or, or European football, you're basically looking at forty five minutes, maybe a couple minutes extra time. You got your twenty minute halftime or fifteen or twenty minute, and then you got another forty five minutes, and you're done. That's it. Two hours, right. you're out the door. That's right. It's great. Yeah, basketball games are similar. I think it's basically forty eight minutes and forty eight minutes, and it's kind of. That kind of ends up being that. That's right? because they're yeah. That's because they're timed, and that's of course what baseball is trying to do. But it's very difficult to time some, something when it, it it basically you have a number of balls, a number of strikes, and it could go on forever. I mean, I remember many times last year when Jose Ramirez was up for the Guardians and he'd fallen off 13, 14 pitches. His at bat alone was taking fifteen minutes. I mean, right? What are you going to well, do about that? I think. I think, well, you can't do anything about that, obviously, but I think it's good because it was getting ridiculous with this the pitcher standing up there, you know, looking at the crowd, spitting into his mitt, you know, doing three circles, doing a little jig, you know. I mean, it was like, okay, come on already, right? And then you got the batter in the box, you know, who's swinging around and doing golf swings and, you know, I mean, they're all float i mean basically it's just like everybody waiting around for something that you know when i feel like you know when the spirit hits me i'm gonna make a pitch it's like i like the fact that they're now like you know just move things along a little bit the other stuff i'm a little i'm a little suspect on like the the shift thing i thought was really interesting where they can't shift shift anymore anymore. right you can't yeah right well you know what here's what would fix it they don't have to do anything different just cut out the breaks the two minute breaks in between no commercials that would fix it they wouldn't like it. 
they'd get less revenue well, or they could yeah. just put the ads <laughs> yeah, exactly. on the screen while the game is going on. Why can't we do that? Yeah, but that still doesn't fix the whole slowness of the game. I mean, I think that what they've talked about is is that they're they're more concerned, they're less concerned about the TV stuff and more concerned about the decline and in, in you know people just don't go to games anymore because they take too damn long. Or well, I, I think a lot of it is is not even that. It's the fact that they can sit at home and watch the game on television. Well, that's true too. Yeah, I mean that's true. That if you if you look at and I don't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but if you look at the decline in attendance at the same time as when you had the availability of the ball game, the tele, the games via television at home, you will see that those two are in line with each other. Decrease in attendance, increase in watching from home. Done. Right. So there, you can fix it by. Um, don't don't put the, don't <laughs> put the games on television. <laughs> See, we got Once all the again, fixes. Joe Polizzi with we, the with the answer. We've got all. Just the, take I, it off TV. I am very excited about my Cleveland Guardians this year. I'm feeling yeah, good. they should be good. Made it to the yeah, playoffs they should last be good. year. Did a good job, I think. Yeah, got a very young team. They're signing these kids to the these long term deals. I love it. Uh, we'll see what happens. Plus, I don't know if you know, but my yeah. my son works uh, works for the Guardians. My young, I did not know yes. that he, he oh, works that in the merch. Really? He works. He's still in college, but he works in merch, and uh, is very excited. He always he's got his hat on, and he's a fan, right? He's he's he never really was a fan until he started working there. Now he's a oh, huge okay. fan because you basically right. either listen. And he's, to he it learned or he, all the ins and outs of the games right. and all that. Now he knows. Yeah. Now he knows everything, and uh, it's good. I mean. I always wanted one of my kids to be a sports fan, and they never they never really were. But now, yeah, I had to wait a little bit longer. But now it's coming to fruition. I finally get my well. That's my father's my as a father my wish that I could share yeah. that with one of my kids. So. That was kind of my journey. I I, I was a, when I was a really young kid. I was a huge fan of football. I went to games every week and. You know, did you know? Saw the Cowboys and did my thing as a young kid. And then when I hit really junior high and high school, it's sort of you know. I mean, you know, of course, girls come into the picture, and then everything changes, right? But you know, I I stopped really being a fan all the way through college, and I didn't really become a fan again. Now I I didn't miss much with the Cowboys because that means basically I missed the '80s. So <laughs> the Cowboys didn't do well. Much you, in the and 80s. you picked it up at a good time when they had their Super Bowl. I did. Run. I did. I came back. Yeah, I came back at a really good time. So I came back in the very late '80s, early '90s when they they you know when they were still one and fifteen or whatever. But they got Troy Aikman, and you know, and then of course they dominated the '90s. But you know, <laughs> the but uh, but yeah, that was kind of my journey too. I didn't. I didn't. I when I was a kid, basically junior high, high school, I didn't pay much attention at all to sports. I don't have that problem with the Cleveland Browns because they won the last they won a championship was in 1964 <laughs> and it wasn't called well, the Super that. Bowl yet. So it's, that's right. It's better, but you never know. This might be the year. Uh, <laughs> this might. This will not be the year. But yes, thank you. <laughs> I think the Guardians. I appreciate your enthusiasm. I think the Cleveland Guardians have a better chance of going to the Super Bowl than the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I'm, I'm putting <laughs> my money. Go. I like all it. the sports betting going on today. That's what I'm. I'm going to see what the odds are for that bet, and I'm making that bet. So 
I think that's we're probably gonna, a safe one. We're going to yeah. do that. Hey, before we get started, yeah. I wanted to yeah. give a little shout out. I know you're going to be there uh, tomorrow. Actually, I'm sorry. As we, uh, you are listening to this on Friday the 31st, uh, it is the last day of our early bird discount for Creator Economy Expo. So I just wanted okay. to shout out. And so uh, CEX, Creator Economy Expo, May 1st to 3rd. If you're into content creation at all, this is the in in real life event for you. And as a this old marketing listener, you can use the coupon code T O M capital T O M. That stands for this old marketing. I don't know if you got that T O M. Yeah, and I, you did. Say, I did. Get that, <laughs> save yeah. an extra two hundred dollars off the price. Uh, we've got oh, including you and me, and we've got over forty other speakers. Yeah, I'm not. Inv- I'm not featured, by the way, in any of the social posts. So I just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. You but, were, you, know, you were there, featured there's, there's in my that. social post. Well, yeah, I was featured in. Yeah, I was tagged in your social post, that's but all the images. Featured. That's they, all the images have Jay Bear. I, the, all the images. Well, have, that's I mean, because Jay. Ba- Jay I mean, of course, is, Jay Bear. Jay's doing right. he's tequila Jay tasting. I know. That's why. Yeah. So Jay is part of the opening reception. He's doing two tequila tastings. It's a. It's apparently a big deal, and he makes it a lot of fun, and it's going to be a great time. Now, are you doing? You're not doing a tequila tasting. If you were doing I'm a tequila not. tasting, I'd be talking about. Well, that. I wasn't. I was not told that that was an option. Uh, so I didn't. I, it wasn't an I option. Was, you know what Jay did? Jay emails me and say, "How about we do a tequila tasting?" That's how. Well, that's, that's how change happens. You have. Okay. To- <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, you and I can both be part of the tequila tasting. Oh, we well, definitely will oh, yeah. be. Yes, no, there's he, no doubt about that. He's gonna I, pick. Jay has great taste. He's gonna pick five bottles, and everyone can do a little taste and see. Uh, and oh, I love it. He says yeah. he's got like a whole. He's been working on it. He's got like a thing that's interactive, and everybody, and it, it's for people that that don't know a lot about tequila. So he's kind of gonna go no, through the why. Well, I mean, you probably know a lot of this because you are a tequila aficionado, yeah. but. I, I don't know. I, Jay has forgotten more than I know. I'll put it that way. He's he's a real expert. Like he's been down to Jalisco and and done the whole tours and done the research. And I mean, he's he's gotten to be a true expert on this. I just drink a lot. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's that's what I got going. That's for. all I want to do too. Uh, you know, his yeah. The next day, um, he's going to give a keynote on how he's built this little tequila content entrepreneur model and i Mm. mean i think you already know we've talked about it before but he gets now eight to ten bottles sent to him per week from people that want want their tequila talked about and he's got a whole revenue model for it it's it's so funny i was telling somebody the other day i mean jay bear has been doing content marketing marketing of all kinds for 30 plus years and now in his whatever fifth act or sixth act this is probably the most profitable thing he's ever created it's it's really that's interesting. It's yeah. really quite something. So he's going to go talk about the model and how he figured it out and what we can learn about it and all that stuff. Anyways, cex.events. Go to cex.events. And when you sign up, uh, hit the TOM for the coupon code. And uh, Robert and I will both see you there. And, and, and we've talked about it on the show. You and I are going to do a little This Old Marketing Podcast at some point during the show. We are. Yeah. And I'm are. sure there will be drinking involved. In that, yes, I've been probably tequila. There, there. Why not? As as it as it goes, have we settled whether it's kex or sex? Uh, it's you know, like in the GIF GIF. It's kind of not thing? either. It's CEX. Oh, okay. I Although gotcha. we do All have right. we do have shirts that say, you know, we can't get enough CEX, but we yes. don't say sex or kex. 
We just say okay. CEX. Okay. That was a that was a thing that you know when we made the decision to do the CEX. I, I I'm sure there was a discussion. Yeah, I'm sure. No, there was I a didn't discussion. see it at first. I oh. didn't see it at first <laughs> well, until the, <laughs> until everybody I'm not else. Sure what like, that, I'm not sure who that says more about, my friend. Well, but, you, yeah, you you know how you know. Sometimes when you've been around smells that are so bad, you get nose blind. You hear that, that comment before. You're nose blind. You can't. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the same thing for me. I was seeing CEX, but I couldn't see that there could be a, a, an alternate reality there for other people that would see that as I an SEX or sex or whatever the case is. But it's not either. Okay, everyone. It's it's, it's a, Creator Economy okay. Expo C E yes and then the X for the Expo. I thought it was cute at yeah. the time. Anyways, it is cute. No, no, there we're we pot go. committed at this yeah. point. <laughs> we're all yeah. We're all there in you as go. we go. So, thank you, thank you. Um, all right, yeah. all right. Well, we have a wonderful show. Yeah, we've got sure. a great show. Um, lots going on, of course, uh, that we can talk about here. Um, we're going to start our show with a uh, uh, an article about Substack, and apparently. Substack needs investors. Then we'll talk a little bit about a what is getting widely covered here is this new open letter to the world to take a pause on AI. And we'll talk about what that pause might be or if it's actually going to happen. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about social media and how it's really turned into pay to play. Uh, new authorizations, new check marks, new all kinds of things and how social media fundamentally is really shifting over to a kind of subscription model. Uh, we'll talk about advertising as a related story to that and how the ad forecast is getting cut yet again uh, and what that might mean for both content creators as well as marketers. Um, and then if we have time, which I'm sure we won't, we'll talk a little <laughs> bit about Google and their uh, publishing strategy and thought leadership strategy. We'll get to rants and raves, of course, and my rant will be on AI experts and how everybody seems to be one now. But we'll talk about how marketers are actually getting their information. Interesting article in Ad Age about that. And then Joe will rave about a new documentary oh, yes. uh, that really talks Very about excited all to talk sorts about of this documentary. Very excited. Yeah. yeah. So so we're going to give Joe lots and lots of time to be able to do that. So, all right. Without any further ado, let's get to it. Let's get to our first do big it. story here which is, of course, as we just mentioned, about Substack. And this is coming courtesy of The Verge, uh, although there's a few outlets reporting this because they sent a very odd email um, out to all of their subscribers. And the headline here is, how much money do we think Substack lost last year? Because why? It's hitting up retail investors for cash. This Verge article, which I'll just open up and say it's very rare oh my god this is funny it's so like rare. i would re it's, um, i would recommend everyone read this article because it's it it it's may, so I, I was laughing I mean, out loud yeah. a couple times with, with a few of these comments really really good stuff. yeah it's 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 you know it's 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 accurate and it's and it's fascinating but it's also so like she's very anyway uh, yeah, she, uh, elizabeth elizabeth lapato is the uh, writer of this and she's she's very yeah. committed to a position so yeah that's true when we say have a point of view in the world of content elizabeth definitely has, has a point of view here so, i'm sorry go ahead um 
So anyway, the article opens up by saying Substack is desperate, huh? That's what I understand from their fundraising email anyway. They're now hitting up retail investors for millions of dollars after they failed to raise last year. After recent uh, historical events, uh, I, meaning the author here, has become skeptical of the term financial inclusion, a set of buzzwords for making financial services more available to people who are not stratospherically rich. Maybe my cynicism is because Facebook tried to launch a stable coin that you nonetheless needed to uh, actually now, according to the scrapped plan, a credit card to use. And maybe it's now because Robinhood made a big fuss about how many brand new retail investors are bringing, it's bringing into its gambling platform. <laughs> or maybe it's the proliferation of buy now, pay later services from the likes of Klarna, Afterpay, and uh, Apple. So anyway, she goes on to describe about, about basically how uh, Substack's round kind of failed, uh, and they sent an email out to a, a lot of their customers and uh, probably a number of others, uh, uh, basically trying to raise money, uh, saying basically you can now become an investor. And as the article describes, the charts that they sort of show in their prospectus are how much money they're paying to writers um, and uh, other types of things, but not things like revenue numbers or profitability numbers, which might be, as in the words of this author, more more uh, useful <laughs> to, to actually ascertaining whether it's a valid be- investment. And she goes on to describe and do the math behind how much money she thinks they made, which she comes to the conclusion that they made of about $18 million in 2022. And saying basically doubling their revenue, not too bad, but we don't know anything about their cost basis or profitability or anything like that. And so she goes on to rail against this, why this is a really horrible idea for Substack to try and raise money from its customers who are sometimes retail investors. What do you think about this, about Substack's life uh, here and about their tactic? Is, Is this marketing or is this sort of a desperate plea or what do you think? It, it, first of all, your question, is this marketing is a valid question. We have to, we have to go yeah. there and I will in a second, but let's go back to the article for, for two seconds here. Sure. The, the article goes through the fact that accredited investors, people that have enough money were not able to get into and support Substack at any moment because you have to be of a certain level of income and and holdings to be able to get into there. And most writers in the platform aren't able to do that. So they come out with this thing and say, hey, we want you, our customers, to be involved in this. But I do have a problem, and the author is is 100% right on this. They don't share any financials that accredited investors would get. Like, here's our annual revenue. Here's our profit and loss. Here's our growth um, uh, projections. Here's what what our opportunities are, and here's what our risks are. Those are the things that they should have shared in the note. Now, if I go to the uh, investor site here, this is the WeFunder site. So if you go to wefunder.com slash Substack, and we'll put it in the show notes, they have all the information here, not including financials, but basically their mission and why they want to get their uh, writers involved in this stuff. And they have, as as I'm as we're recording this, 5,830 investors that have supported $6.7 million for Substack. Now, that's significant and probably very significant to these quote-unquote investors in here, but it's not a lot of money if you, if you, when you look at the whole, like, what can I do with $6 million? So I go through the whole thing, Robert, and then it comes back to your question. This is a royalty, or this is a loyalty initiative, I think, because sure. if, you are on, if you're a Substack writer, whether you're making money or not on their platform, 
And then you just decide you're convinced by this letter and you decide that you're going to invest money in this. You probably are more connected to this platform than ever before. And you probably will not leave as a lot of people are for, let's say, Beehive. I know a number of Substack creators that have left for Beehive, which is just going crazy right now as an email platform. So I'm not sure what to make of it. If, If it is... A desperation and the Substack business model isn't working very well. I don't see the six point seven million as a long term solution, except they if they believe that this is a loyalty play. The last thing I want to add is this is through WeFunder and WeFunder has their fees on here. And I just did a quick you know back of the envelope uh, math exercise, and WeFunder is taking home about two hundred fifty and three hundred thousand dollars just from this little effort. Yeah, which is a, it would exactly. just disgust me probably more than anything else. Yeah, because a lot of <laughs> you have to make because you get if you go through the fees if you have the you have the three percent fee then another five percent fee if you use a credit card it could be up to ten percent fees. Now I've got to make my money back and I don't even know what that looks like. Like when am I going to get paid? Is there is, does this mean an IPO has to happen and these investors get their money? You don't know, like. Right. They are that's investing right. on nothing. So that's what's frustrating yeah. to me. Yeah, it's a go it's it's definitely just a GoFundMe, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a you know, it's a very dressed up GoFundMe or or, you know, email us a, you know, a Patreon sort of thing, right? I mean, it's you know, that's exactly, I, I think yeah. I think you're absolutely Well, that's the reason I I asked the question about marketing is because that's what I think it is. I think <laughs> this is exactly that. It's a it's a loyalty marketing play that gets their subscribers invested in staying with the solution, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you, in a very commoditized space, you know, and you mentioned Beehive, it's a great one. And there are others out there, you know, Medium and, and, and certainly others that are, that are, that are playing in this space. It's very commoditized. There's, there's very little sticking you to one particular platform. Um, given how many, by the way, have moved their stuff over to Substack, right? So just as easy it is to move your stuff into Substack, it's as easy to move it out. Yeah, um, That's a good thing because that means it's less idea of quote-unquote rented land um, so that you can export your list and you can do all the things and it becomes a service like WordPress or anything like that. But unlike that, it it is literally, you could move your list and that's all you need to move. Move your list and you're done, right? So now you know, you're off to the races with another provider. So how do you make a, how do you make a solution like that sticky for your subscribers? Well, you can provide great service. You can provide some, you know, features that nobody else does, or as I'm guessing, they made the calculation here, you can get people invested in staying and make them owners of the company, right? You know, it's the whole, you know, I'd love the company so much I bought into it. Right. And so I think that's what this is. I think the money is sort of secondary. Um, and whether or not I have no comment on whether or not they're doing well or not doing well, I have to imagine they're doing okay yeah. um, because they've their their growth has been so astronomical. Um, so if they're paying, you know, if they're if if there's no delay or they're paying their uh, subscribers, you know, that are that have e-commerce attached to their accounts, it sounds fine, right? If they're making eighteen million dollars, great. The cost on that is probably pretty manageable. So they're a small company. They're, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a small little company growing very quickly, very typical startup. And this, like you say, $6 million is not a lot of money, but it's enough money to put in this program 
if they, you know, in other words, they can they can now fund doing this at for real and for proper and send everybody a prospectus and send everybody email that's an investor and make them feel good. So it becomes really like your loyalty card, right? It's like a Starbucks loyalty card. You now have a Substack loyalty card where you have a little bit of, you know, you have a little bit of skin in the game. So I, I don't love it. I don't love it as a program. I think it's kind of it, it. The certainly the way they communicated it was not optimal, right? They, they certainly, I'm sure, didn't plan on the backlash that they're getting. Um, the sort of like, ooh, the sort of icky feeling, right? The, as, yep. you know, expressed very, very clearly. As writer. Very clearly. Yeah. But I, I have to, but could they have made it, communicated it better? Certainly. Would it, would it I'll, and I'll, I'll make this my last comment here, which is what I think is fascinating is it's yet again a company communicating financial needs uh, in a bad way that goes completely sideways on them. And well, I don't know if it went sideways or not. I don't know what their goals were here on the fundraising side. But but basically, from a, from a reaction standpoint, it's not dissimilar from what happened with SVB, right? And Silicon Valley Bank was, you know, it, really the, the trouble with Silicon Valley Bank was the way that they communicated that they were raising money. And it put the fear of God into everybody. This has put sort of if you're a if you're not a Substack user and you're not interested in this, it makes you go, "Are you need this money this badly? This is like not a good thing. This may may if I'm not already interested, it may make me want to leave. So it could backfire on them. That's that's and that's just the yeah. way it was communicated. I'm but, sure but we'll they. See. I'm sure they asked you know asked the question is how will this be perceived. Will this be perceived oh, like they're I, trying I'm to guarantee position you, it? Like, yeah. oh, we're opening this up. No companies do this. We're opening it up to our writers and our customers, and this is great. Or desperation. And I think that's a valid question. They're really close, by the way. If they just, just put a little bit more financial information and a little bit more clarity on what you could make, like what the return would be. Not that you're – I mean, I, they have to put the things in like you might lose money. This is a risk. All That's fine. But I have no idea, at least when when I buy a company's stock, I have an idea of the percentage of what I own in that company. I can do the math. Number of shares versus number of shares available. I own 0.001% of the company, whatever whatever that is. I can do yeah. that math. I, this, I don't think this is possible. Like It goes into a vortex, the 6.7 million, and you just have no idea. And they're just saying, hey, if... If we have a successful exit in the future, like an IPO, merger, or acquisition for more than $585 million, you'll see a return on your investment. By the way, that's not a sure thing. That's a pretty large valuation, $585 million on a company that's doing revenue of $18 million right now. So yeah, yeah. that's a 2000, 2021 valuation. That is not a 2023 valuation. So. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because um, you know the it, it'll it'll be interesting to see um, that as the as the Verge article also points out, you know, five million dollars is the legally allowed limit, so they're going to have to shut this off at some point very quickly. It says here. almost sold out, you know? but yeah, but it should. I thought it was supposed to be sold out at five. They just keep going, just like just like a GoFundMe. It never. Well, stops. they'll they'll. I'm sure they'll have some drop, right? I mean, when they when they actually make people pay. They are paying, um, you know. Though, well, that's, I, that's, I wonder, that's money in the bank. You're, you're, they're paying. Uh, I wonder if that's committed. I wonder if that's committed or actually the transaction happens. I, I, you, you go or, go through the process. You are, they're, they're, you're using your 
ACH, your wiring, or you're using credit card for almost all. Right, of these. but I wonder if it's like a like a GoFundMe where they keep the money until it actually, you know, there there is a drop dead point. In other words. And you can still back out, right? You can still cancel that transaction, right? Like if I put this on my Amex, I could cancel that transaction. Yeah, I could I, say, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. And I felt I felt frauded or whatever and, and cancel that I transaction. Guess. So I, I, there may be some sort of reconciliation that has to happen here. I don't know enough about the finances of to be able to say that authoritatively. But I'll bet there's some that they – I'll bet that it's like an airline overbooking, right? You know, they, they're, they're counting on some level of cancellation here to get to the five. Yeah, I – I mean, I'm more the line of what are the odds that you will get your money back? Not not just make money. Oh, it's low. It's really low. Yeah, really, this is really good. Low. This is this is like you're going to get a mug, right? You're going to get a mug and a t-shirt, yeah, it's, and it's like buying, you know, and all sorts of stuff. It's like buying somebody's NFT project. You're doing yeah, it as a right. support more than anything else, and maybe that's you get right. a little bit of access. I wish they just do that. Should just do a membership program. Call well, that's the, the thing. If they'd communicated this as a loyalty program, I think it would have gotten the same kind of reaction. Uh, not the bad reaction, but the same kind of raise, you know, to say, hey, listen, we want to make you owners and blah, blah, blah. But this is a loyalty to, you know, we want to make you, you know, a, a part of what we're doing. And, you know, we're going to give you a bonus or, you know, basically avoided all the sort of Could have been a content marketing program. Implication. Yeah, exactly. We get you. You're going to exactly. get the monthly Substack magazine. You're That's gonna right. get invited to to Substack Expo. You're That's gonna right. yeah right. Wouldn't right. that have been better? Right. Oh, yes, man. it would have been. But I like I think that they wanted to take the ownership aspect of it right. They wanted you to feel. I mean, in, in their letter, they even say we want to make you an owner. Right. We know you're an owner of your own little business, and so now you can feel a little bit of ownership in ours. So it's uh, I get that I get that messaging. Yeah, I understand it. But it's there's a way to do that and sort of not imply that you're basically going to get you know now you're going to be part of the cap table right i mean so hmm. you know it's yeah. it's it'll be very interesting be, to see how this should turns be out interesting for yeah there you go yeah okay all right moving on to our next story here this is an open letter to the world an open letter to the world take a pause on ai says uh, a wonderful group of more than a thousand tech leaders there are any number of outlets covering this but we will report from the new york times more than a thousand tech leaders researchers and others signed onto an open letter urging a moratorium on the development of most powerful artificial intelligence systems more than a thousand tech leaders including elon musk and uh, and 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 steve wozniak of course co-founder of apple andrew yang um, and a number of others have said, we don't want anybody else to de- develop AI until it represents no more profound risks to society and humanity. AI developers are locked in an out-of-control race to develop and deploy ever more digital minds that no one, not even their creators, can understand, predict, or reliably control. This according to the letter from the Future of Life Institute that was released on Wednesday. Basically, the article goes on to explain what... Um, the open letter was calling for, but ostensibly the headline here and the thing that everybody is debating is it cause, calls for a pause in the development of AI systems, any more say AI systems that are more powerful than uh, GPT-4, the chatbot introduced by OpenAI. Um, so I definitely have a take on this. What is, what do you, what do you think? What, was it, what is it? The Future of Life Institute? Is that what? <laughs> yeah. Is that? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were making yeah, that's that it. up. Yeah. 
Is that a no? No, no, no. That's a that's a real thing. Yeah. Future of life. That's a, it's like I feel like I need my bran and I should be drinking more juice and having fruit and vegetables. Sure. That's the future. Sure. Of life. Well, it's the it's yeah. The, the future of life institute is where you go sit in a hot tub with you know very lots of big bearded people, right? You know where you sit in the hot tub and you talk about the you know and there's lots of incense going um, and you get the I thought the, you were talking about of life institute. or something like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey. Yeah. The <laughs> here's my take on this. I want to hear yours. You can't put this back in the box. This is out. <laughs> What's in the box? You can't. What's in the box? The, the way I, it's like <laughs> I'm in the box. I want out of the box. You. This is out of the box. You can't do anything about it. And now that it's out of yeah. the box, you can't say all the good people have to put it back in the box because you have a lot of evil going out there when it comes to AI. And we're going to see a lot of this, by the way, with the. Um, New, the U.S. presidential run here that's that's coming up rather yeah. quickly with all the deep fakes and uh, pictures and it's going to get nuts. So I don't I think this call I don't I'm not sure what their intention I, maybe they have good intentions for it but I think it's silly because you want all the good people and the evil people working on this and they have to combat each other and we've got to fight on this thing. It is out. There's no way that's right. You're going back at this point. What do you what do you think? I think well, I think you're right, but I think the the interesting thing is if you read the letter, uh, it's actually not very well written, which is fascinating to me because if you go look, and I browsed very quickly through the at when I when I uh, logged into it uh, this morning, there was thirteen hundred and change uh, signatories to it, and so and. I, I again, I didn't do a scientific count here, like I didn't literally count, but by my eyeball sort of uh, guess, 80, 90 percent of them are academics. They're all from universities and primarily professors that have things like, you know, the ethics of technology in their, yeah. you know, in their title. And so I, I don't dispute that there are real concerns here and that many of the concerns that they cite, um, and they cite a few, and they cite a few papers, and that have been written by academics on on the you know the ethics of AI. I don't dispute those. Those are nuanced conversations, complex conversations that we should be having. But it, then it feels like they just at the last minute threw that like, hey, hey, everybody, as they sort of pass the joint around, and they said, <laughs> hey, man, we're not going to get we're not going to get any action on this thing unless we like put a picket sign up or like a call to action of some kind. And like, oh, I know, dude. Let's put a pause in there, right? Let's let's make everybody want to pause. The great and then pause. It'll, you know, you know, the great pause. Did we just of development, do that? And that'll that was COVID. You know, we just had yeah, the great right. pause. Exactly. So you get this thing where. Everybody now on all the mainstream media and, and by the way, off-stream media, that's the debate now, right? Whether we should pause or not, not having the conversation. So I think they did themselves no good by trying to gain attention by calling attention to the pause rather than the nuanced and very complex issues that I can see why many of them are concerned about this. I think there are legitimate discussions to be had about all these things. But a pause is so unrealistic and so impossible. I mean, it's 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 literally like you say that it's it's done. It's out. You can't you can't pause this now. That they've done themselves no good. So it, it to me, it's a big bag of nothing. Um, ultimately, that will not result in very much. And unfortunately, I think it it puts a bit of a a cloud over 
somebody else now or another group saying, hey, listen, we should have these discussions because people will now point to and go, well, you you wanted a pause on this thing before. It's like, no, we should have these. These discussions should have, should, should happen. And the government will need to step in at some point with some level of regulation and, and, and control over some of these things. But these are all discussions to be had, not trying to talk about a pause. Oh, you know what? Your, your concept here about... I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of something like a Davos. You should have all these really smart people get together in one place and let's talk about it, the good and the bad. And so everybody knows and let's keep talking about it over and over and over again. And that will help more than what's the, the big bag of nothing institute that you called it than doing that. The big that's exactly right. I, I, and so, if so, so people are serious Elon about it. Elon should use that. That's the power that Elon right. and others have to do that. Get these group of people together. Every if Elon said, "Oh, we're all going to get to, we're all going to go to New York or Silicon Valley or wherever, and we're going to talk about it for three days, and put these panels together and get CNBC there and the whole thing," it'd be a big deal. Exactly. That. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Right. So if 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 they had if they were really taking it seriously they would have gotten these 1300 signatures or whatever they you know whatever you want to call them and they would have said great what you're committing to by signing is coming to this event in you know the you know Paris or New York or you know somewhere where we're going to you know get everybody together have a 3-day conference where we discuss openly these challenges and we have labs and we talk about the practicalities of things and we come out with you know something uh, you know, some manifestos, right? You know, so of, of how companies can behave better and, and how development should happen. And really, those kinds of things would be much more impactful than basically coming out with a press release saying yep. we should pause. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Yep. All right. All right. All right. Let's move on to our, quickly to our next story here, which is uh, social media is now pay for play. Uh, this is coming to us courtesy of Axios. Interesting article here. The article opens up by saying social media is getting pricier for users who want to unlock special features and privileges. Why does it matter, they say? Well, users who once believed they were contributing their time and creativity are now being asked to pay by uh, pay up by cash-hungry platforms. Uh, Elon Musk on Monday tweeted that beginning April 15th, only tweets by verified users will show up in Twitter's default main feed of For You. That's a fascinating and huge change. Verification, formerly a uh, service Twitter offered public figures, is now only available as an $8 a month subscription. The new strategy is the only realistic way to advance AI bots swarming taking over, said Musk. Voting in polls now will also require verification for the same reason. In other words, you have to pay to vote. Uh, between the lines, Musk has tried to shift more and more Twitter's business toward charging for subscriptions and, and pulling back from advertising, which is not true. They've actually doubled down on advertising, but they just don't have the advertisers. Um, anyway, they go on to uh, quote a number of people that are uh, talking about this, but then mention Meta, which has launched its own version of paid subscription for Instagram. And I actually got my invite on Instagram to pay up. Um, and you can only do it through mobile at the moment, oh. um, basically where you can get your little check mark um, and pay for it. Now they do require that you put in an ID and actually verify your, your yourself, which I could actually see being fairly useful for people like you and 
uh, others in, in our circle who often get imposters mm-hmm. that are that are that are going. But I don't, you know, we'll we'll see, we'll see how that how all that turns out. Anyway, it, we didn't put this. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But there's another article that talked about how Twitter is dying. Um, and and talked about how you know the the idea of all of this subscription and pay to play stuff is really causing Twitter to really enter into a, a, a down spiral of uh, of death. But what do you make of all this and social media? Is are are we just seeing a fundamental shift in social media and how it's how it's going to be used? Yes, I absolutely do. I think the problem people are looking at the Twitter thing because Elon's just throwing all kinds of stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks. But this one, I think, is valid and actually. If it was more than $8 a month, I, I think that's completely fair because they're targeting creators. They're targeting influencers here who need, in my opinion, verification of some kind. Uh, because as you and, and if you go back down to what Meta and Instagram's doing, you're right. I've got three other accounts that are supposed to be Joe Polizzi right now on Instagram. And it is a pain right. in the butt. And I get notes all the time that so-and-so's hitting me. And like, is this you and the whole thing? It's terrible. So if there's a way that I that people will know that this is Joe because Joe's got to pay for verification, I'm going to pay for verification. I'm a content creator. I can afford this stuff. It's important to me. It's important to my business. I'm going to do it. I probably would do it on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I already, right now I already have premium on LinkedIn, so that's one thing that I'm doing. So. To, your, to answer your question, is this something that we're going to see in social media? Absolutely. We've talked about it before on this. It's going to be pay for play for creators that need, you know, that, that should be verified in some way. So you know that it's them and it's not somebody else or it's not a bot. And this is just the first of many things that we'll see. I would imagine that you're going to have you're going to have to have two to five percent of the audience on every one of these platforms be verified because they're the ones creating all the content. Yeah, I think this is going to fall on its face for Twitter. Unfortunately, it might. I think they, they should have done it they, immediately. They had, is what they should have done. Well, right, and they and they should have done it right. If they had done it right, with uh, truly providing value in the way of properly identifying you to get the verified check mark, now they've made it. Now what they can do is they can say, "Hey, listen." You know, now we've verified. We've added this paid subscription idea where you get a blue check mark and you are now verified. You have to provide a driver's license and who you are. Now there's a rationale for going to all those who they sort of just gave check marks based on you know email conversations and basically said, "Hey, you know, your blue check mark was given in, in a non-verified way. So if you're a star, a star or a politician or whoever it is, and you had a, you have to pay too." And you have to get re-verified, basically. So we're re-verifying everybody on the platform would have been a much more interesting and, I think, productive Individuals and corporations. Correct. Business page. so in order to... Absolutely. That's right. So anybody who had it previous, now you've got an argument, right, to say, hey, listen, when we gave this to you four years ago or seven years ago or 10 years ago, you know, you... We don't. We we didn't really verify you. Well, all we did was sort of, you know, verified you by links that you provided or you know something, whatever they did to give you a, a, a check mark, and then now it's basically you have to re-verify yourself and you have to pay for it because, and to we've talked about this many times where he really missed the boat was basically making that a sliding scale based on the number of subscribers that you have, you know, where you you pay more if you had more followers which would have probably met Ben Matt with some backlash, but 
honestly, if you've got a large number of audience members and subscribers, it is worth it yep. to you to keep that, you know, to pay that more money per month based on your number of subscribers. So anyway, I just think it's a, it's going to, it's going to end up like stumbling over. I mean, they're just moving soup, you know, the whole thing of move fast and break things. They're just breaking but too many things too quickly. The sliding here, scale I think, will I happen, I believe. I mean, Prof G's talked about this course. forever. He said, hey, I'd I pay $1,000 a year easy to keep my 250,000 followers or whatever the case is. And I think a lot of That's people right. would. And it's that's right. I, it's totally reasonable, I think, to do that. Just like when I have Mailchimp for my personal newsletter, and I pay whatever for my ten thousand uh, subscribers, I pay a bigger amount than somebody with five hundred. Well, that's the so you have to think that that's the next thing, right? Which is to either make you pay more to get because you know, for, for example, right now they say the reason you want the check mark and the verification is so that the algorithm can be optimally, you know, configured so that your stuff shows up more, right? So that's the enticement now to, to getting verified on Twitter. But if you play that to its logical conclusion, if they get 60, 70% of the people to actually do that, well, now you're right back where you started, right? Because if everybody's, if everybody's content is optimally configured, then nobody's content yep. is optimally configured. And so you have to figure out another way to optimally configure it. And so what you say is based on your number of subscribers, you are going to, by default, have an optimally configured algorithm. Therefore, you're going to pay more, right? So in other words, your tweet's going to show up in more people's feed. Yep. Therefore, you're going to pay more. They would have, And that's the issue that Twitter has right now because... What do I have? I have like 150,000 followers or something on Twitter. I've been around for a long time. I took a year off of Twitter. Yeah. Those There's there's 100 plus thousand of those people that aren't seeing any of my stuff and have them for a long, long of time. Of course. Yeah. So if I yeah. pay for the 150,000 plus level, I want to make sure that I get distribution. And, and that, of course. I'm not getting it. So I might have to say, oh, I'll pay. I want I want whatever my distribution is now. If it's 10,000, then that's what I'll pay. <laughs> Gonna be, That's right. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with that, if they do that at all. Yes. So, yeah, we'll see. there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, let's get to our rants and raves section, shall we? Sure. Um, and before we do that, before we get to rants and raves, I just want to remind everybody, we've got some great stuff over at thisoldmarketing.site. You might not have been there ever. You might have been there last week. Doesn't matter. Get on over there. Well, you can subscribe to Joe's amazing newsletter, The Tilt, if you haven't done that. You could probably get all sorts of CEX type of uh, discounts and links if you want to do that. You can subscribe to our little experience advisor community. Um, you can generally immerse yourself into 368 other hours of chuckle-headed goodness that are on this show. And of course, all the show notes and links that we have for you. So get on over there, boy. Also, leave us a voicemail, send us a message, put it on Twitter, hashtag us up at this old marketing. We love the story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Give it to us. We love it. We love being able to cover what you want to hear about. And also uh, do all of that because I'm back on Twitter now and I haven't updated my little header image yet, I but I gotta, get, uh, I gotta get that updated. You're back. I know I'm back. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, I'm slowly I'm getting back, back into it. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to go first. Okay. On, because I have a very short, a very short little commentary piece um, that we'll also link to in the show notes, which is from Ad Age, um, and I just think it's fascinating because I, so I literally just got off uh, before we started recording this a wonderful webinar for the Marketing AI Institute where I was talking about they brought me in I don't know why they brought me in I'm no expert at all. Um, but I, I guess I have something to say on the context of artificial intelligence and writing and content and content strategy and how brands are doing that. 
And so the interesting thing is this article sort of leverages into that, and it's uh, it's saying marketers are using uh, uh, are relying on social media right now to get information and instructions on how to use things like ChatGPT and Dolly. And it the article basically talks about how all these CMOS uh, for from companies and experts and sort of marketing uh, experts are really trying to leverage Twitter and social media channels to get the best instructions on how to do things with all of these generative content tools. And it's interesting because the point of the article seems to be that there's everybody's out there now uh, providing for sort of useful instructions. And what I find is actually quite the opposite. I find that there's a lot of people out there talking about how to use this stuff. And everybody's has become overnight an AI expert now. So it's really hard to find the actual information that is really helpful and not just stuff people trying to newsjack and get their own sort of stories into how to use uh, chat GPT and generative AI content into it. And I'll just mention, for example, <clears throat> one article uh, here, which I think is fascinating, um, which is there's an, there's a, there was an article that was sent to us um, by our friend JK. Hi, JK. Um, that about AI art now being banned in video games, sort of generative AI sort of imagery art now being banned in video games. And while it's interesting, it's also wrong. It's just it's just plain wrong because the article opens up by talking about how, you know, every day it says, you know, new AI art as being touted as the future of art and the promise of speeding up workflows and all those kinds of things. And it talks about how the major video game companies have now banned uh, AI art in the games because of legal issues, because of copyright uh, concerns. The interesting thing here is if you sort of look at the article, the article then starts to explain how it all works, like how does AI work? And it says uh, basically... The way that AI art generators work, and this is a quote from the article, is by scraping the internet for images and reusing fractions of these uh, portions of these photos and paintings to create new art. That's not how it works at all. That's that's just that's just not. That's not how it works. It is not. It is not that they don't go out and look at a bunch of images and take small pieces of them and reassemble them into something. That's not. That's just not the way it works. They learn. It's a learning model. It is a learning model and. I'm not nearly expert enough to explain the details of that, but I do know that that's not how it works. So the interesting thing is, is that the article then concludes that copyrighted images, if they're scraped, says the article, well, then the studio can't be assured that it's going to actually own the art in the game because there may be some lawsuit brought against it. And I don't think that's it at all. Again, I'm not an expert here, but my take on the copyright issues, which is a real one, is that art generated by AI is under open source. In other words, anything you generate under Dolly or ChatGPT is an open source. In other words, anybody can have access to it. Anybody opens uh, can use it. You don't own the copyright on it. So the interesting challenge is actually flipped on its head because what we're talking about here with generative content through AI is that where does it where does it become mine versus where does it become open source? So what they're concerned about, I think, is, is that there are no hard and fast rules about what AI can do from a copyright. So they're just scared that if they put something in the game and it's AI generated, well, anybody can use it. Anybody, you know, so in other words, they could just copy it and they wouldn't have any legal recourse. So that's their copyright concern and why they would ban it, not necessarily because they're scared of stealing somebody else's work. 
So I think that's a really, and there's a complex and nuanced uh, discussion to have about that. My take on all this is that it's really hard to find good information right now, really good, accurate information. But if you're a marketer and you're looking at these things, social media is probably not the best source for you. It's not, (laughs) right? You've got to actually go do the research and find some of the experts who really know about these things and get educated. That's that, that's my little commentary, I guess. I think that's a great take. And, uh, I think you're right that all this stuff being created. Yeah. You, you can't, if you say, I want AI to create my logo, great. But anybody else can use that thing too, right? That's kind of what exactly. you're saying. Oh, I like the open. That's I right. Think that's right. I think that's the way where it's going to go because it's impossible that anybody could trademark this stuff. So, that's right. So. Well, it's not. So here's the thing. Nobody would know, right? In other words, nobody would, you know, nobody can heart, you know, that's, that's the really complex part, right? How do you know? In other words, if I go have AI create and the logo for me, and then I go trademark that, that image and, and actually get the, you know, the, 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 the trademark or the copyright on that image, well, okay, would it, I, I'm not going to tell anybody that AI, I'm just going to say, no, I designed it myself. I, of course I did it myself. And it won't be until somebody creates something that looks almost identical to what you created that either you have a big fight about it or basically you, you, you lie or something else happens that we don't know yet. And I think that's the complexity that has to get wrung out here by regulation is when does it become mine, right? When does it become my creation? How, you know, in other words, if I write a blog post and the first introductory paragraph is created by AI, but I edit it a little bit, is, is it now copyrightable by me or is it still an AI created thing that is open source? It's just a really complex issue that we haven't solved yet, but that's the challenge. It's not the challenge that it's actually going out and stealing other people's work. I have a great example. It's like a thermos. See, it keeps the cool stuff cool and the hot stuff hot. How it know? <laughs> How does it know? <laughs> oh, I I'm sorry. That. I had to. That's so good. I had to. No, All right. it's good. No, it's really good. That's really good. Yeah. All right. That's my what next blog post. Hey, generative AI is like a thermos. All right. Uh, so here's my my rave, and this is I haven't had like a big, huge, amazing rave for a long time, and this is going to. So I'm going to take some time and talk about this rave. So I'm going to set it up here. Uh, in in All a couple right. weeks, uh, you know this. A couple weeks from now, I'll be running my my first marathon, uh, the Glass City Marathon in in Toledo. Yeah, um, been you know very 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 excited about this, and my wife has been sharing in this journey with me. And she saw that part of the Cleveland International Film Festival, there was a movie, a documentary coming out called 26 to Life. And this is a story about the incarcerated men of San Quentin Prison uh, who train all year for a marathon inside the prison. So I'm going to talk about this. We had a chance to go and see this. And the documentary is developed by director and producer Christine Yu, which, by the way, I just connected with her on LinkedIn and had a great conversation with her. Um, It took her five years to film and edit 26.2 to life, uh, including nine months just to get permission from the California penal system uh, to make this happen. And I was simply blown away by the movie. If there was like a star level, I would give it six out of, out of five stars. And Alan's into the Allen, the Allen Theater at, in Cleveland, Playhouse area of Cleveland, sold out. 
after the movie, it erupted in applause, and and Ms. Yu was was crying in front of everybody. So there was there was a Q and A afterwards, and one of the stars of the film, Markel Taylor, uh, who we got to meet and talk to as well. He finished with the fastest time of the San Quentin Runners and then was released from prison four years ago. That's how long the movie took. It was released from prison four years wow. ago and has since wow. run the Boston, New York, and Chicago marathons. And now he travels around the country visiting prisons and juvenile population, sharing his experiences. But I want to talk about a couple of things that I learned from the movie. First of all, United States has 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's incarcerated. So if that's not a social justice issue, we've got a problem going on here. Yeah, I didn't realize that most prisons are highly segregated by race. According to Mizzou, San Quentin's Thousand Mile Club, uh, this is the group of guys that, that they, they prepare every year for this marathon and to run 105 laps around the grounds at San Quentin, and that's 26.2 miles. They train all year to do this. Um, the Thousand Mile Club for San Quentin is the most racially integrated of any program of the two prisons that they have Thousand Mile Clubs now. It's one in San Quentin and there's a new one in Washington State. And then also prisoners who are, are released, as you know, oftentimes find their way back into prison. But of the 45 San Quentin 1,000 milers who have been paroled, none have reoffended. So really amazing. It gives them a purpose. Wow, that's amazing. It really is amazing. I could go in so many directions with this, Robert. Um, there's a Pulitzer Prize nominated podcast produced from the prison, from San Quentin, called Ear Hustle. If you get a chance, you can listen to the Ear Hustle podcast. Uh, they have a they have a chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists in San Quentin, San Quentin chapter. What I learned. And they also create the San Quentin News, uh, and that's for available for anyone on the outside, and it promotes social justice issues. But the, out of all this, Robert, the aspect that hit me the hardest was being witness to the power of what one story can do. So here's how this whole thing happened. In February 2016, journalist Jesse Katz wrote a story called Inside the San Quentin Marathon in GQ magazine. That story was read by Christine Yu and inspired her to develop the documentary. That documentary is now being seen by millions of people across the country and inspiring other prisons to launch their own Thousand Mile Club. So I personally saw over 500 people like moved to tears watching this documentary and all what the men went through and the issues that they have. That would have never happened if that one story wasn't written. So kind of coming back to our whole thing and marketing and content creation. The power that we have, sometimes we don't realize from the content that we create and write. But sum us all up, 26.2 to life. If you get a chance to see it, please do. Uh, I think it's 88 minutes running time, uh, so it doesn't take a couple hours to do. It's, it was really, really powerful film. I learned a lot. Highly recommend it. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite, a, quite an experience for my wife and I. So there you That's go. That's amazing. Yeah, well, now you've I'm, now I've know, I know what we need to watch next, but... I mean, I'm no runner, but but that's I mean that's that just sounds amazing. It just sounds unbelievably emotional and good. I didn't realize about the 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 segregation inside the prisons, and they talk about. I that. did know about that, but yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's it's a, it's an awful thing, but but it. I mean, I guess there's a reason for it. Well, so, they, and, you know, and and I mean, what's great is you get to learn from the prison. They basically say you come into the prison, and if you don't go into the group that you're supposed to be in based on the color of your skin or your background, like you get you bad things happen. Right, and they talk That's about they why. Say, yeah. So you you actually have to do that. Now the great thing about these programs in San Quentin, they teach. Um, uh, 
sign language in there. They t- there's a bunch of different classes. There's a bunch of people getting their GA- GEDs. That those are ways that you you bring any of these learning things or the Thousand Mile Club is ways to get these people back that are segregated into one group. So it becomes really integrated from that standpoint. So okay, and yeah, and I can't even imagine running around a course a hundred times. We're yeah, blessed right? in my marathon. I'm blessed. I can run all over the city of Toledo. And you can see lots of different sites, and it keeps you motivated. I can't even. And by the way, when they're running this thing, there's people walking. I mean, they're, most of the prison's in session, so there's people walking around playing basketball. They're blocking you. And the the one yeah. that we saw when they filmed it, it was seven minutes into the race, and they had a lockdown, and everyone had to stop. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really interesting. So there's a joke right there about Toledo, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> go there. <laughs> running Toledo, I people know I'm yeah. in Cleveland, Ohio. We're running Toledo because it's an exceptionally flat course. I'm, yeah. Oh, there you go. So, and I do not like hills for my for my marathon. So we'll we'll see. Yeah. No, I, I don't like hills generally. Nobody speaking. likes yeah. it. There Nobody wants this. Nobody wants this. Yep. So, all right. Well, what do we uh, what do we got next week? What are you doing? What what's going on? Yeah. So I as as you know, we got a special episode coming up for next week again, and it's because of me because yeah. we're we're going to to London. We're going to go watch. Arsenal play Leeds United. It'll be the first European football match I'll I'll watch in person, and uh, and of course see see many of the other sites around the beautiful city of London. I love London, one of my favorite cities in the world, and uh, so that's why next week we'll have a really actually a really amazing episode. It's going to be fun on audience yeah. building. So yeah, yeah so that's good. what do you what do you got sure. going on while I'm out doing uh, my, my thing. I'm neck deep in CMI University right now, getting the my master class all filmed and doing all the the videos for it, and so that's going to be my weekend pretty much, um, uh, other than trying to get outside a little bit. But uh, other than that, client work and and doing that stuff and just busy, busy, busy. Good spring, good spring, good. Sounds sounds fantastic. Yeah. All right, wonderful. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And uh, yes, we do have a wonderful special episode for you next week um, that will talk all about audience building. So be sure to tune in for that. And until we hear or see you next week, remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on this old marketing. <laughs>